Welcome to the Neutral Ground Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Overton. Tim is an individual and couples therapist for Cohen Military Family Clinic at the University of Pennsylvania. He earned his MA and his doctorate in clinical psychology from Widener University. He completed his postdoctoral residency at the Southeast Louisiana Veterans Affairs Medical Center in New Orleans, where he specialized in the treatment of rural and underserved veteran populations. His clinical expertise includes cognitive processing therapy, CPT, for post-traumatic stress disorder, and cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, for depression and anxiety. In our conversation, we touch upon some of the specific approaches that he takes to help veterans who are struggling with mental health concerns. Tim also brings some much-needed hope on the discussion by sharing some of the data that is coming out of Cohen Veterans Network regarding veterans and mental health. And we talk about the role that narrative building and analysis plays in helping veterans and all of us, for that matter, move forward in life into a place of purposeful existence. And now, my conversation with Dr. Tim Overton. Dr. Overton, welcome to The Neutral Ground. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, thanks for having me. All right, so I wanna dive in here with, with something to get a little, a better sense of, of this topic from your perspective. So mental health is a, a fairly broad term and that can be both good and bad sometimes, right? On the positive side, it can help us to express concerns to someone else without maybe getting into the specifics of our own ailments. However, on the negative side, it can sometimes minimize the importance of specificity when trying to help someone who is wrestling with a particular mental health concern, let's say. Now, although no two clients are the same, are there some common characteristics that make helping veterans different than helping, let's say, the non-veteran civilian population? Yeah, there are, um, you know, I think some important things that, that we'll see pretty commonly in our clinic. I mean, I think the one that I actually want to emphasize first is not necessarily a difference in the mental illness that we see, but a difference in some of the mental health strengths that we see. Um, I think so, a great thing about working with veterans is that um, they're coming into treatment with a lot of strengths, a lot of skills in terms of, you know, teamwork and social support and leadership. Um, so but what they're finding as they're transitioning out of the military sometimes is that trying to apply those strengths in new contexts starts to uh, set up some, some difficult dilemmas for them. Um, and, you know, for some folks that can contribute to depression or anxiety um, or some of the other, you know, mental illnesses that we treat. Um, and certainly, you know, we do know that the research shows that the veterans are at a higher risk of um, post-traumatic stress disorder than the, the general public, um, just given the increased likelihood of exposure to um, traumatic events. So certainly that is something, you know, we, we might see a higher rate of than, than your typical um, uh, community mental health clinic. Now, we still have today that image in popular culture of the doctor slash therapist in a chair with a notepad and the client lying down on the couch, that kind of a thing. But can you speak a little bit on 
just how diverse the practice is for treating mental health concerns? Yeah, our, um, you know, I definitely hear that from clients a lot kind of after first sessions that, wow, this wasn't really what I expected. Um, you know, I think with, you know, kind of what they've seen in, in popular culture and, um, and whatnot. Um, but our, our clinic takes a really um, active, collaborative, goal-oriented focus uh, towards treatment. Um, the treatment we, treatments we use um, tend to stem um, from cognitive behavioral literature, um, which you know, engages the client in a really active way um, in identifying the, the thoughts that are interfering um, with them living the kind of life that they wanna live, with the behaviors that those thoughts contribute to and starting to piece that connection together between thoughts, feelings, um, and behaviors. And um, we, you know, we don't expect to do all of the work in this session. What we're really trying to set our clients up to do is how do you become your own therapist? What tools and resources can we give you, whether that's, you know, worksheets, um, uh, day-to-day kind of activities and routines, um, connecting with social support that that helps you kind of put the treatment into practice in your day-to-day life so that you're not coming here for years on end and just lying on your back on a couch um, talking to us. So we really try to take a very active, uh, goal-oriented, problem-solving um, uh, approach. So someone who is reaching out for help should probably think about as also uh, the importance of their own doing work, their own kind of agency and, and buying into this and really taking that, maybe that yearning for help and putting, being prepared to put action behind it, right? Because this isn't something that, like you said, you can just sit down in one session and, and all of a sudden you're magically cured. This is a, a constant pathway. This is you having to put in the work to reach that end result that you envision for yourself. And I think this kind of actually will segue into another question here. One of the main topics that I discuss on on my podcast is the importance of narrative and particularly narrative reassurance today, finding some sense of coherence, let's say through story. I've had Amanda Huffman and Ben Colloy on the podcast recently as part of this kind of dive into this series of veterans and mental health, both veterans and both have talked about how important the narrativization of their lives has been to their ability to find some kind of meaningful bridge, let's say, between their past, present, and even into a purposeful future. Does narrative construction or narrative analysis, let's say, play a role in your own practice as well? Yeah, absolutely. And um, to, I think to illustrate that, I can talk a little bit about two of our, um, the main treatments that we use for post-traumatic stress disorder, because um, I think they illustrate this concept really well. And the two treatments that, that we do here at the Cohen Clinic um, are uh, cognitive processing therapy and prolonged exposure um, uh, for, uh, for PTSD. And in, in cognitive processing therapy, the way kind of what we're trying to do is um, take that narrative that somebody has told themselves about a trauma um, and start to look at 
some of the the ways that they've maybe foreclosed on a a narrative without considering a lot of the contextual factors or other things that we could maybe integrate that um, that narrative back into the fuller narrative of their life. Um, you know, so for example, somebody who experiences trauma might leave that trauma deciding, you know, this must have happened because it was my fault. I did something wrong. Or they might swing to the, you know, the opposite extreme. And the only way they can make sense of it is to say that the world is a completely dangerous place and I'm just going to encounter more and more trauma for the rest of my life. You know, they might tell themselves something like, I need to have my guard up at all times to prevent uh, more traumas from happening. And what we want to do is take a look about how these, you know, short stories that they've told themselves um, about the trauma um, have impacted their ability to more fully experience uh, their life in the present moment. Um, and if we can tweak the way that we're thinking about it um, and, and maybe start to, re- you know, help that first person recognize that there are aspects of this they didn't have control over that may not have been their fault. If we can help the, that other person figure out, you know, where um, where are the areas where the world isn't completely dangerous? Where are places that I can go and feel safe and secure and start to just challenge these thoughts a little bit? They're going to be a lot more likely to kind of fully immerse themselves in their life and have a more full and coherent narrative for their life. So that's what CPT looks like. Um, prolonged exposure, PE, um, is works well for folks who get very distressed by the narrative of their trauma coming up. Anything that, um, any situation that maybe reminds them of their traumatic experience because that narrative is so painful, they're going to go out of their way to avoid. And that avoidance of people, places, situations, um, ultimately is gonna cost them um, the kind of meaningful relationships and activities that they wanna have in their life and, and cause them to miss out on their life. Um, so with, with PE, what we want to do is, again, expose the person to that piece of the narrative so that it increasingly becomes less stressful. And then we can start to incorporate kind of the narrative of the rest of their life um, so that, you know, that that trauma narrative becomes just a piece of their story and their day-to-day challenging themselves to integrate back into their lives in, in a way that's meaningful for them. We're, we're learning a lot more today about the unreliability, let's say, a little bit of of memory specifically. And would you say that a a person who is struggling with with a traumatic event, does that person have to have a clear memory, a clear sense of what happened in order to be able to get help and process what is going on for that event? Yeah, absolutely not. Um, that for uh, for treatment like PE, it you know, it is important to be able to uh, talk about the event. I mean, if we're exposing yourself to the story of the event, you can't really do that without a good memory. But for folks who, who have trouble, and that is typically a symptom of PTSD, is difficulty remembering parts of the event. Um, for somebody like that, CPT could be a great option. Um, for With CPT, what we're really looking at is not exactly what happened, but how did what happened shape the way that you're viewing yourself, shape the way that you're viewing the world, 
you're viewing other people. Um, and you know, you don't necessarily need to recount every detail of, of what happened in order to do that. Do you find that one of the mo more difficult hurdles to, let's say, jump over for something like this is people who come in with an attachment of guilt to the event, and, and maybe that's a reason why they might not reach out for help. How would you, what, what would you say to someone who, who feels a tremendous amount of guilt, let's say, attached to an event? How, how can they overcome that process now, even just for the reaching out part, you know, either calling someone or using a, a link to, to your group? How can they overcome that initial stage of, I don't want someone else to know? my guilt mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah guilt is certainly can be a, a a large barrier for for folks and there can be a lot of other you know additional barriers but that's definitely one i've seen um that has caused people to to put off their treatment even if it's simply just the guilt of i don't want to take a spot from another veteran who might be able to use this uh you know use this more than me um and you know i think what i would say to that person is, you know, a we're here and available. We've got we've got the openings for um, anybody coming in right now. And but you know, more importantly, to you know, in terms of the guilt about the event, um, that it's it's worth. You've basically been telling yourself this narrative for a long time, without really taking the time to evaluate the uh the accuracy or or whether or not it's helpful for you and i think uh, something i like to focus on a lot in treatment is whether you know even if i accept your version of the narrative that this is your fault why don't we take a look at how helpful is it for me to believe that it's my fault is this getting me closer to being the kind of the parent i want to be the kind of coworker i want to be the kind of uh, citizen I want to be. Um, and oftentimes, guilt very rarely helps us to do those things. So, you know, I'm not going to push and, and pull with you if you want to believe coming in that this is your fault, fine. But let's figure out, you know, what might be a better conceptualization that's going to motivate you to, you know, take the steps that you want to take to make your life look differently. And so if you think there's a chance that you know, the therapy could um, have a positive impact on your life. It's a pretty low risk uh, thing to get involved with a clinic like ours. And at our clinic in Philadelphia, we're completely free to, to every, the, everybody that we serve. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a very high cost to, to take a chance to try something different. How important is it? Because, uh, uh, of course, a term that kept coming up in, in this mini series that I'm doing here is purpose. How how important is it to establish in establishing purpose for that individual who's coming for help? Yeah, and I think that that's one of the the most difficult things about a transition from uh, from service. Um, you know, the one of the great things about military service is that it bakes in a number of um, protective factors to people, right? If you ask any mental health professional, like what are some things that uh, are signs of good mental health? You know, good social support, 
um, a sense of, of purpose, good structure to your, to your days and to your activity. Um, those are things that are baked into military life. Um, and so when we see this transition out, you know, a, a person who had had all their social support in one place, now it's spread out all over the country. A person who had somebody giving them structure to their day, you know, now doesn't have that anymore. Um, some, you know, a person who had, you know, an organizational mission that everybody they worked in, worked with, believed in, right? Now all of a sudden doesn't have that. Um, and I think that's the purpose piece that you're speaking to there. And, you know, and transitioning out of the military, you know, in some ways is, is very scary for exactly that reason, right? Losing that purpose. In other ways, it's incredibly liberating now that I'm in a position where I get to define my own purpose. Um, and that's very intimidating, um, but that's what organizations like ours are here to do and to give you somebody to talk through um, talk through all those things that were important to you prior to the military, all those things that you want um, to be important to you later in life and figuring out how do I prioritize, um, you know, what my purpose is. And it's once that purpose and those values have been established, I think it makes it a lot easier to find the motivation to do some of the tough tasks that we might ask you to do, whether that's revisiting a trauma or, um, you know, or putting yourself out there in a social situation. If you've established that purpose, you know, most military folks have shown with good purpose, they're, they're willing to take risks. Um, but we've got to help them establish what purpose means to them. This might be a, a bit of a clunky question, so forgive me, but I, I want to piggyback off of that just a little bit here. When I had um, cognitive behavioral therapist Laurie Singer on, to talk about mental health, she talked about how depression oftentimes convinces you to pull away from others and how that creates this kind of feedback loop that continually does it over and over again. Now, in the military, as you mentioned, baked into it, there are certain key elements that keep it going, one of which is not even just purpose itself, but purposeful engagement with others, right? Like you have a very clear role. It's an important role as well in whatever you're doing. When you transition out of that service and you no longer have that purposeful engagement with others, do you, do you find that because there, there's a, there's a very important nuance between nostalgia for, you know, how it used to be when I had all of my friends, or in the case of the military, had all of my, my, you know, my, my veteran brothers and sisters, you know, helping in something important. Do you, is there a way to determine when nostalgia becomes you're starting that feedback loop in, in pulling away from society and does that in some way add to the depression? I guess what I'm asking is, is this something that veterans have to be aware of when that nostalgia becomes, this is now depression in a sense? Yeah, I, I think the, you know, and that's why I love that question about like whether or not a thought is helpful as opposed to realistic, right? Because I think there are some 
folks who can have the same thought of, you know, I, I'm a better version of myself when I'm around other people or when I was around these people, right? And for some folks, like that can be a thought that sparks, oh, okay, well now what I need to do is I've got to find other like-minded people, you know, in my current context and take advantage of that. Um, but there's other people who might say, well, I can't be happy until I get back, you know, in, until I get back to that. And I think that second person is somebody who's going to be more likely to develop, you know, a depressive reaction to that same situation. Um, so, you know, I, I think it can be helpful to have that introspection and look back, you know, that's where nostalgia is a helpful feeling. If we can look back and say, hey, this is where things were good for me. How do I find elements of that in my current context? Um, but if we, you know, start to tell ourselves this narrative of, I can only be happy in that exact context, that's when we're going to be less likely to reach out for help, less likely to try something new that might very well bring back that same feeling of, of connection, um, you know, that we had in the nostalgic past. And just to kind of put a, a bow on this, you do see, because we don't want to take away those memories. And like you said, that nostalgia actually has a positive role to play here, right? So we don't, you don't want to take away that function of nostalgia in them when they come in your office, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, you know, any feeling that we have, you know, whether it's, it's more we, a positive feeling or a negative feeling, every feeling has a function um, and it's providing you good information. Um, what we want to do is make sure that we're taking that information and using it uh, to find ways to, uh, you know, to, to better your future. Um, and I think a lot of times when feelings are un uncomfortable, um, what we try to do is avoid those, um, you know, avoid those feelings. Um, or in the case of nostalgia, maybe avoid losing that nostalgia. But the more we avoid certain feelings, the more we're going to avoid the, you know, the possibility of situations that, you know, ironically could bring about exactly the same kinds of feelings and outcomes that we want to have. We obviously don't want to to take uh, to get too specific about any one client or one client story. However, I, I do think it's important. Is, are there any kind of general stories that you can share with us to help provide maybe some veterans who are listening now with real life understanding of what what can happen to their lives, how it can be helped. There is hope and enrichment and how you can find that kind of fulfilling future. Can you give us any kind of general stories uh, about that from your uh, practice history? Yeah, for sure. For sure. From, from a, a big picture perspective, um, I think something our data has shown us um, is that for, you know, for high risk clients, clients who present with any level of suicidal ideation coming to our clinic. Um, 94% um, who, of the folks who reported suicidality at the beginning um, reported a decrease in the frequency and intensity of that suicidality by the end of treatment. And 88% of those who came in with suicidal thoughts experienced complete remission or a complete absence of those suicidal thoughts by the end of treatment. Um, 
So for folks who, you know, have, you know, have thought about suicide and think that, oh, well, I'm just stuck with these thoughts, you know, hopefully that's some evidence to suggest that um, treatment really does does work and, and make a difference with that. Um, I also don't want to give the impression that suicidality is by any means a prerequisite for, for therapy. Um, there are plenty of people that, that can benefit, you know, from treatment and, and we don't want you to wait until you're in that place um, to call in. Uh, you know, I think for folks who, who are dealing with things like, like the transition out of the military that we, you know, we've been talking about, you know, I, I do think of um, a, a couple clients that, that I had who, um, you know, were worn down by these new civilian jobs, um, just had, had that like lack of, of purpose, got really, were getting frustrated with, with coworkers, with kind of the adjustment back to the, the family life and some new roles in their family that, that they were taking on. And, you know, where I start with all these veterans is thinking about, you know, what are the values that you liked about the military? What were the things that, um, you know, that you are nostalgic about? What were some of the, um, the things that meant the most to you? And figuring out, like, where are the opportunities to express that in this job? Um, and, you know, for some folks, maybe they realized, oh, that they're not there. Let's let's find a different job that that is more meaningful or let's volunteer somewhere and add something on top to give me more of that sense of purpose. I think there are other folks who took advantage of the leadership qualities that they had. And initially, while they thought, well, I haven't been here as long as these people, I can't take a leadership role. They realized that actually what the organization was missing was somebody taking on you know, some leadership and that gave them a sense of purpose. Um, you know, I think other folks, we recognize that um, education was a real value for them and helping them, you know, figure out, you know, where, how can I, you know, leverage my skills to go back to school. Um, you know, so I think those are all uh, possible outcomes. I think another thing I want to emphasize um, is that we don't just work with veterans and service members, we also work with their families. Because um, we recognize that this transition isn't just the veteran making the transition. It's the whole family making a transition. And we're trying to, you know, everybody while this veteran was, um, you know, serving you know, in, in active duty, um, was making adjustments and changes to their lives, whether that's, you know, a spouse picking up more household responsibilities, um, you know, a, a kid uh, taking on some like more of a leadership role in the house now being kind of demoted back to a child role that there's everybody's roles are shifting. Um, and the, uh, I think helping, you know, couples especially recognize that the independence that their partners exhibited during a deployment or during, uh, uh, you know, when they were living separately, um, that independence is, is an attractive quality and characteristic, but we can't have two people operating independently in the same home. So navigating that dynamic um, has made a, a tremendous difference with, uh, with some of the couples that I've worked with as well. A couple of things here that, that I found really fascinating that connected with, with me and with what others have said as well here is Ben Colloy and I talked about not letting the military 
not letting those skills that you had and honed in the military stay there, that they don't have to. In fact, those are movable things within you. So, for example, he even mentioned himself. It took him quite a few years, but he finally figured out that the thing that he wanted to focus on and that he loved in the military was leadership, specifically taking uh, younger Marines and helping them find out so what are you good at? Like, what can we utilize in you? And now he's turned that into uh, quite a nice business, actually, for himself as well, by understanding that it wasn't the military that owned that. It was him. He owned it. And so I, I appreciate and I love the fact that you kind of mentioned that, that these are things that you can take with you and you can focus on afterwards, because something that, that even I spoke about at the beginning of all of this was... The idea of, of looking how we can transfer even something like duty, honor, integrity that gets wrapped up in the military, those words, how those can be transferred over to the community, the domestic, the home, the self, that you can carry those with you. So I think what, I, what I'd like to ask you about a little bit here is, do you find those terms do you use those terms even as a way in honor integrity those military terms to help with the transition to bring those along to the community or the home yeah I, I, absolutely i think um you know, using using a veteran's language or a service member's language for their own ex experience is i believe one of the most important things i can do as a therapist um you know, and I think we can, the two, two of us can sit here and kind of talk in, in generalities about, you know, what the military ethic looks like. But certainly, you know, it's as diverse a population, you know, as there is out there. And, and um, the, you know, anybody coming into, uh, you know, our clinic, any, any veteran coming into our clinic um, had their own set of values that, that got them in the military in the first place or that they developed in the military and, and you know and for some the military really lived up to that ethic for others maybe they didn't have quite the experience that they were hoping to have um but regardless if we're able to name kind of what were the values that that are most important to you whether you got that experience in the military or not um let's figure out how we can in your current context um apply uh you know, apply those those values in, in a way that's that's kind of most relevant to the, the way you want to live your life. Yeah, again, both both uh, Amanda and Ben talked about the very, very similar thing here, which has been perhaps the most the most wonderful thing to me is to see how just how connected all of this is on every side, the veteran the clinicians, those who help, even those who, who maybe did not serve like myself, but who are just interested in making sure that we are able to get everyone as much help as possible. It's, it's amazing to me how narrative and how these, these concepts of purpose and, and, and finding your purpose in that transition, just how, how important that really is to, to everyone involved. Well, let me ask you this. Can, can you, um, what would you tell a veteran who is maybe listening to this and 
you know, is is tempted. Uh, maybe today's the day that I'm going to reach out to Cohen Veterans Network or uh, make a phone call to a veteran helpline, but is still perhaps a bit hesitant about what all of it may entail. What would you tell that individual right right now about making that first click or phone call or even just reaching out to a friend about it? I would say that you, you don't have a whole lot to lose. Um, I, I have not met the person that therapy has made worse. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I do understand, you know, some of the hesitation and it is a big step to start to tell somebody and maybe somebody you've never met, uh, you know, a, a story that's pretty intimate to you. Um, and, you know, the, what we know is one of the best predictors of, of outcomes in therapy is a fit between the, the therapist and the, and the client. Um, so you always have the option, if it doesn't feel like the right thing, to, to change, to ask for somebody else. Um, and, you know, and it's for you to feel out and make sure it feels like a good fit, but you're not going to find that out uh, from home. Um, you know, and, and that's why we try to make our services, uh, or we do make our services free to the, the clients that we serve um, to make it as accessible as possible um, so that really there's, there's very limited risk uh, to you. I love what you just said there about the idea of the fit in, in just in general mental health terms for, for everyone. I, I've heard people, people have told me before, that they've gone to a therapist and they said they just didn't like the person. And of course, most, most if not all, therapists go in to try to help. That's what they're there for. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that relationship is the best or perfect. And I think empowering people to say, rather than therapy didn't work for me because of that one interaction, it is okay to say, even to the therapist, I'm not sure if, if I'm connecting necessarily well here. Is there someone else you can even recommend? They're, they're grown-ups. They can handle it. It's okay because they want you to get the help that you need. So don't be afraid to have the thought, maybe I'll, I'll try someone else and I'll actually even ask my therapist or my clinician uh, for maybe someone who might fit a little bit better. The worst thing you can do at that point is just give up because of one one person, because you're, you're worth so much more than that and your future is so much more important than that one relationship. So I'm actually really grateful that you said that, it's perfect. You mentioned the importance of the families involved as well. And this is, uh, this is a subject that I'm interested in as well. What would you tell the family members, the civilians, who, are, who love or are concerned about someone who is a veteran who is really struggling with mental health concerns, what are maybe some actionable items that they can either use to help or, or just kind of a plans that they can, or maybe things that they can look for for that moment to say, we're going to have to reach out to a professional at this point. What, what can they do? Yeah, I think some patience um, in this process is, is really important. Um, that, 
you know, the family members, when they see another family member struggling, understandably want to fix that and they want to fix that now. Um, and, and that's a great sign. I mean, and it's wonderful that we have, you know, family members of our veterans who, uh, you know, who, who want to change the way that they're, they're feeling. Um, and, you know, often you, the more we try to tell people what to do or what they need to do, the less they want to listen. Um, so, you know, what I would encourage you to do is kind of resist that impulse to tell them what to do and really practice kind of uh, listening and reflecting the feelings that they're having and especially those feelings um, that, you know, that are, you know, sadness or loneliness or other things that, you know, if they hear those reflected back to them, they might think, hey, yeah, that is how I'm feeling. Maybe I should get somebody to to think about this. The more that we can have that idea coming from the uh, the person seeking treatment, you know, the more likely they are to really fully engage in the treatment. So I would encourage them, you don't need to convince them all at once, um, but to kind of just practice reflecting uh, those feelings. I think another thing that's really important is trying to avoid taking it personally, right? If you see your partner, your father, mother, et cetera, struggling, the, you know, it's all of our impulse because we want to change. We want to be, be able to have control and change uh, things in our lives that I think, oh, well, this must be my fault. I must have done something wrong. And the more we start to take it personally, the more defensive we get. And then the more we try to push them in a direction that they don't want to go. So just recognizing that impulse, taking a step back and trying to you know, reflect that back that emotion. On a really uh, concrete level, um, a great resource that the VA has is uh, called Coaching Into Care. Um, they've got a website and a, uh, a phone number that uh, family members can call um, to talk through kind of the specific situations um, of the, you know, of their loved ones. Um, so that's a, just a really great thing that the VA does uh, that I would, I would recommend as a resource. Um, I would also say, you know, if you're, if you're noticing there's someone else in your life that, you know, could use support and they're not getting it right now, it's, it's important that you're taking care of yourself. So that might be, you know, if you haven't sought your own care yet, it might be a good idea to reach out. If you're a family member to, uh, you know, a clinic like ours, um, to, you know, to make sure, you know, you're getting your care and that's going to put you in the best position to be the best listener and support you can be uh, for that loved one. And, um, and if you are a veteran or a service member who has sought mental health treatment and had a positive experience with mental health treatment, I think the more you can be an advocate and tell your story of success, the more that's going to help out other folks. Um, you know, I think it's easy for me here as a mental health professional to sit here and say, treatment works and, and you should believe me. Um, but, you know, I know that veterans are a lot more likely to listen to other veterans. So if you've had a good experience, talking about your own experience can be the, one of the best ways to leverage uh, other folks to seek, uh, seek care as well. Yeah, this is going to sound like I'm trying to plug episodes, but it's it's not. I hope people think better of me <laughs> at this point. But um, both Amanda in in the episode I did with her and Ben, the episode I did with him, both of them talked about how much therapy helped them. 
to figure out just actually just to impose order on the chaos of their minds in some way how important that really was for them so if you don't want to listen to just the two of us here with this then i do urge you to listen to those episodes so that you can hear it from them from veterans themselves how much this actually helped them and how how important the process was to develop a kind of narrative and understanding of what's going on you know inside inside of their minds i i want to highlight cohen veterans network here a little bit specifically because uh both you and and chelsea were so wonderful in in returning and reaching out to me and coming on can you tell us a little bit about cohen veterans network and what you do and how you approach it yeah so we uh um we're a nonprofit uh, grant donation funded organization um, that supports veterans, um, active duty, reserves, National Guard, um, and family members of any of those folks. Um, so that's any direct family member, a mother, father, sibling, child, or spouse um, of anybody who is serving or has served with an emphasis on uh, post 9-11 veterans. Um, and we offer um, individual couples, family therapy, um, and uh, case management services to you know anybody in that that population. Um, our I am located at the the Philadelphia clinic. Um, our clinic is completely, like I mentioned, completely free to um, anybody we serve, and we serve folks um, in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Um, and offer you know telehealth services to all those places, so, so it's very accessible from the comfort of your home, own home, if that's your preference. If you want to come in for treatment, um, you know we welcome that as well. Um, and the Cohen Veterans Network serves a much broader um, swath of, of our population. So we've got clinics. I believe we're up to fifteen uh, nationally. Um, you know, so if you're not in our tri-state area, there's a really good chance there is a clinic um, that serves uh, that serves you wherever you are. Um, and like I said, telehealth is available, so you don't need to live right near a clinic um, as long as we have a provider license in your state. That's wonderful. Yeah, and each of these episodes, I've been putting a link to Cohen Veterans Network in the episode notes, and this this will be no different. I'll have that here as well. Dr. Overton, thank you so much for joining us and for giving us this insight. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell the audience or anyone who's listening? Uh, I think the biggest thing that I, I want to reiterate is that uh, treatment is available and it works um, and that we are, you know, we're here for you. Um, and the, you know, like I said, we see dramatic drops in, in suicide rates of, of uh, or of the folks that, that come in, um, but that's not a prerequisite that, um, you know, these transitions are tough on the veterans, they're tough on their families. And by the way, you're doing it in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, so it's, uh, you know, we've worked hard to make sure that our services are as, as broadly available, you know, as possible. Um, and, and we wanna make sure that people are taking advantage of it if they think they can benefit. Thank you so much, Dr. Overton, for joining us today. And thank you to Chelsea Lewis as well for helping us get connected. 
just thank you. That's the best I can say, honestly, is, <laughs> is this was exactly what I was hoping for, you know, toward the end of this was to get all of these different kind of perspectives. And you most definitely have provided, I think, a tremendous amount of hope and, and purpose as well, giving people, I think, a reason to click the links, make the phone calls and get the help that you need. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Tim Overton. And I also hope that it inspired some of you to be active and unabashed about reaching out to veterans with a helping hand or an open ear. And as Ben Kiloy said in a previous episode of the podcast, welcoming them home. And if you are a veteran or you know a veteran who is struggling to find purpose or meaning or even just some ground underneath your feet, I encourage you to use the links below to seek the help that you deserve. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. It always has. So let the professionals help you rediscover that meaning and purpose. Until next time, try to keep one foot firmly planted on the neutral ground and have a great day. <laughs>